Imagine students from your church joining with others in ministry in the inner city of Cincinnati, making an impact for Christ. Imagine people from your congregation joining with others in ministry to meet medical needs or complete work projects benefiting Kenyans in the African bush, making an impact for Christ. Imagine watching a video of all the people in your church who made a life-changing decision to follow Christ in baptism the previous year, making an impact for Christ. Imagine people from your church engaged in ministry to people in your community, schools, neighborhoods, and organizations making an impact for Christ. Imagine Disciple Heritage Fellowship encouraging, strengthening, and leading your church to fulfill Christ's mission. Disciple Heritage Fellowship began in 1985 as a network of like-minded congregations united in faith and belief in the mission of the local church to shine the light of Jesus and stand unwavering on the Word of God as authority. Through the years, Disciple Heritage Fellowship has assisted hundreds of churches with pastoral searches, transitions to independent status, support during crisis mission endeavors, as well as providing a network connection of congregations. Disciple Heritage Fellowship is entering into a new season of leadership and mission. DHF still exists to encourage, strengthen, and lead churches to fulfill Christ's mission. The executive board of Disciple Heritage Fellowship, along with leadership teams of First Christian Church, Decatur, Illinois, have agreed to move DHF under the leadership umbrella of First Christian Church of Decatur with Pastor Wayne Kent as executive director. Wayne Kent brings years of experience of musical mission work as well as pastoral ministry to lead First Christian Church in Decatur, Illinois in reaching the community for Christ. He looks forward to assisting other congregations make a difference in their communities. Disciple Heritage Fellowship is ready to support churches through consulting with leadership about children and youth ministry, local and global missions, worship and technical arts, church staffing, and pastoral or congregational crisis. DHF exists to serve partner churches. Find out more about the National Conference or DHF at discipleheritage.org. Disciple Heritage Fellowship, encouraging, strengthening, and leading churches to fulfill Christ's mission. All right. Well, it is good for us to be together here on this Mother's Day morning. Uh, if you're newer with us, uh, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here, uh, and I have the privilege of bringing you God's Word today. And I'd invite you to turn in God's Word to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible of your own to do that, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you. And then also in the East Auditorium, there's some folks walking around uh, with some Bibles for you to use. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we would invite you to uh, visit us at the Welcome Center. We have a Bible for you to go with that uh, Mosaic gift uh, gift card as well. And so as you turn there, um, you know, we showed this video here uh, kind of going into the message as uh, a snapshot of what um, 
churches around the country receive as we uh, go in and come alongside them with uh, partnering that we're doing, as you saw in the video, through Disciple Heritage Fellowship. And uh, we showed, I think, once before here, but we thought why we showed it again today was, um, you could say what I love about that video is while it's a, a vision for a potential future and a preferred future maybe for certain settings uh, who are, are struggling in certain churches, what I love about that video is that it's a current reality of what you all as First Christian Church are already up to, of what you're doing, and just seeing all the, the video feed of all the different things that, that you all are making happen in our community and around the world, um, I just find it super encouraging, and uh, really, uh, as, a, as an appropriate snapshot of what uh, we've been talking about these last couple of weeks in this Thrive uh, series. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, both in the weekend as well as in the mail, you've, you've gotten um, some information about this Thrive Vision campaign Campaign, which is a vision all about kind of what's on that video, about uh, us continuing to thrive as a church as God has called us here, as well as helping other churches, namely the 71 Disciple Heritage Fellowship churches that we serve, uh, helping them thrive in their specific contexts. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, today a little bit more. And as we talk about what it means for us, you know, to thrive, to do well, to be the best with what God has given us, both here and in these other churches, uh, a word that is used in the Bible to describe what we're uh, to be about is the word steward uh, or stewardship, that we are to be a steward of all that God has entrusted to us, to you and to me as the church. And um, the simple thing to do when we're like wanting a clear definition, okay, so what exactly is a steward? I don't know about you. you used to say go to Webster's Dictionary. No one knows who Webster is. They just know who dictionary.com is probably, or just Google it. It pops right up. And so we could go to a dictionary definition of steward, but we actually are just going to level up right out of the gate here and go to Jesus' definition of what a steward is uh, in our passage today. And so um, Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be. And uh, I discern to skip the cutesy illustration story at the beginning because last night I went 12 minutes over. And 12 minutes over when you're in the 11 o'clock service means I want lunch. So uh, we're just going to go ahead and skip that. And we're just, I was going to be honest, we're just going to dig right into the text here as uh, it really gets to the heart of what we want to look at today, because I want lunch, and so do you. Okay. So with that, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 25, which falls at the end of the book of Matthew, where you really get Jesus' final teachings, kind of his last word, like, hey, if you don't remember anything else, remember this stuff. And all his teachings at the end of Matthew have to do with his kingdom. Like, hey, as I depart, as I go, make sure that you all left behind are all about my kingdom, which is just kind of a Bible word for saying, be about my will and my ways. I want you to be about my kingdom, my will and my ways here on earth, just as I have it in heaven. We pray that, right? That we want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what his kingdom's about. Us bringing his will and his ways right here on earth. And so we've got a kingdom story right here as what it looks like for us to live that out here on earth. Okay, so with no further ado, Jesus teaching on that, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, we have this parable or a uh, an, an illustration, if you will, to help us understand how this all plays out. Follow with me. Jesus teaches, he says, it will be like a man going on a journey. Okay, and so I'm gonna interrupt already. So we're gonna do this thing where we read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little, uh, just to understand what's happening. And so it will be like a man going on a journey, and Jesus is painting an illustration about himself. He is the man going on a journey. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven uh, where he will go. He's gonna go on a journey, and then it will be like a man going on a journey who then, it says verse 14, 
called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So Jesus is ascending into heaven, you know, in this teaching, getting ready to happen, and his, he's entrusting those of us left behind, that's you and me, with his kingdom, with his will and ways to be played out here on earth. That's what we're supposed to be about. And so from there, Jesus gives now this teaching on what a steward is, okay, and how that all looks. So verse 15. He illustrates it this way. He says, to one, he gave five bags of gold to one servant. To another servant, he gave two bags. And to another, one bag. Now, depending on the translation of Bible you have there, it might have the word talent there, which isn't talking about like a talent show. It's actually, uh, both of these settings, it's talking about a, basically a large sum of money, that he is leaving a large sum of money behind to, uh, to his servants to do well with. Um, and it's not even about to be, as it illustrates with money, it's not just about money. It's really talking about all the resources that Jesus has given us in his absence to be about his will and ways. And so if you wanted to maybe sum it up, the resources are, yes, financial resources, but it's also our time. And it's also the gifts and the abilities that God has given you in, in, in the world. And so if you wanted to make it cute and start it with T's, which I did because I'm a preacher, uh, you could say it's time, talent, and treasure. That God has given us time, talents, to use it in more the talent show, like gifts and abilities, time, talents, as well as treasure, all to be uh, utilized as best we can for his will and ways, okay? So that's, that's what we're up to. So he gave, uh, verse 15 again, one, five, one, two, and one, one bag, uh, each according to his ability. Then, verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and he put his money to work and he gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants, he returned and settled accounts with them. So this is talking about when Jesus will return again. So that's where we're at. We're waiting on Jesus to come back, okay? And so what it will be like when he comes back, says the man who had received five bags of gold, verse 20, he brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Okay, and there it is. There's, there's that definition of what a steward is. This is what stewardship is. This is when we are entrusted with something to be faithful with something. Biblical stewardship is the reality that we have been entrusted with God's things, his time, talent, and treasure, in order that we might be faithful to his kingdom, to his will and ways, with that time, talent, and treasure. That is what stewardship is. That's what God's called all of us to do, to make the most of whatever we've been given here on the planet, okay? And so verse 21, the master uh, replies to the first servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man, who, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, this is to the second servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, this is interesting to me because what you have in these first two servants uh, is essentially 
identical conversations. I mean, everything is verbatim between the guy, uh, the first guy and the second guy, except for one thing. And that is the initial amount given. And see, and that's what we want to catch. Because at first, you're like, okay, Jesus, you made your point with the first guy. Why do we need the second guy? The difference is the amount that has been entrusted. And why I love this is because for us, say, on the proverbial scale of one to five, maybe you feel like you are in the area of time, talent, or treasure. You might give yourself a one, a two, or, or maybe a five. That regardless of where you find yourself, that the call of God is still the same. And that's the temptation is, oh, I don't have that many abilities, or I don't have the time, or I don't have you know, a whole lot of treasure, uh, so what am I supposed to do? Well, God points out that regardless of what we've been given, whether it's a five or a two, as we'll see as, as a one, that we are called to be faithful with that to his will and his ways, which is what we want to do. So that's what he's up to in our lives, okay? Because we've been entrusted with God's things, to be faithful with God's things. All right, so that's the first two guys. And then we come to the third guy. The third man, who the third servant, who had received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here, here is what belongs to you. It gives him back what he started with. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I do not scatter or or gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, it's a pretty intense response. Uh, so we see pretty quickly here that this third servant is not the definition of stewardship. It's, it's actually the, uh, the antonym, the, the antithesis, the opposite of what stewardship is supposed to be and painted in the first two um, servants there. And it's interesting that when we think about, you know, maybe... Um, having like a mentor in life. Uh, I, I remember when I was young wanting a mentor to like, you know, kind of learn from whatever. And I got this interesting advice that, you know, when looking for a mentor, also keep your eyes out for an anti-mentor. An anti-mentor? What's an anti-mentor? An anti-mentor is someone you know or recognize who you don't want to become like and keep that in mind as something not to be. And so we kind of see here that we have an anti-mentor in the third servant and a mentor in the first and the second of what it means to be a, a steward of what God's called us to. To sum up what's happening in the third servant, D.A. Carson, in his commentary on this passage, uh, really nails it. He says, the fault of the third servant was that he did not recognize his master's intention, that he wanted what's best for them. Uh, and instead, he opted for safety instead of service. And then catch this. Hoping to avoid doing anything wrong, he chose to do nothing right. And so, 
we want to make sure that as we approach all that we have, whether it's a one, two, or five, that we are honoring God with whatever those resources are, time, talent, and treasure, to his glory. That we want to further his will in ways, knowing that that's what's best for us, what's best for the kingdom. It's all works together, okay? And so as we've been discerning what that means for us as a church, and, and sometimes you say the church, it almost feels like we're talking about someone other than us, like that's you and me. Like we are, when you put us together, we are this church, we are this place. As we've discerned what God is calling us together to be about, to be good stewards of the time, talent, and treasure that he has given us, we have discerned that we have, you could say a two-fold vision, a two sides of a coin vision of what it means for us to thrive as a church. That first, we want to uh, ensure that we thrive right here in this location as God's put us here uh, to use our time, talent, and treasure for the furthering of his kingdom, his will and ways right here in our community. But also, here recently, God has led us on a new adventure to uh, use our time, talent, and treasure to encourage and bless and help other churches, these 71 Disciple Heritage Fellowship churches, help them thrive as well. And so as we thought about what that looks like, both for us to thrive and the other side of the coin to help other churches thrive, you could illustrate uh, the vision this way, that um, for any of you who have ever maybe flown on an airplane, um, whether you've flown two times or 2,000 times, either both of those times or all 2,000 of those times, you've heard the exact same pre-flight speech. And if you've never flown before, let me just tell you, you ain't missing much. Um, but here's what, here's what goes down. Some of you have done enough times, you could come up here and take my little thingy doodle off my face and put it on, and you could do this whole speech. But one part of the speech goes this way. It says in the safety protocol that in the event that the cabin should begin to lose pressure, what? Oxygen masks will automatically appear from the ceiling. I think they say automatically, but I think it's magic. Okay, so they, they will appear from the ceiling to start the flow of oxygen, Pull the mask towards your nose and mouth and place it firmly on, or towards, your, towards you, I don't know the speech. Uh, place it firmly over your nose and mouth and secure the elastic band around your head. Breathe normally. Although the bag, this one I do remember, although the bag does not inflate, oxygen is still flowing to the mask. I'm glad they tell you that because that would probably freak me out if it wasn't like doing something, so that's good to know. All right, and then they always have this important caveat, and you know this if you've ever flown. They say what? If you are traveling with a child or someone who needs assistance, what? First, secure your mask and then assist the other person. They always say, first secure your own mask and then assist the other person. And why this is is quite obvious because, well, if you're not breathing, you ain't a whole lot of help to the person not breathing next to you. So that's, that's why we secure our mask first. And so that really for us serves as an illustration of what God's calling us to do as a church, that we want to ensure that first, that we are on track here, that we are thriving, that we have, you could say, the mask securely fastened to our nose and mouth as a church, that we are, if you will, breathing in all that God has for us here as a church so that we are full of health and life and vitality, putting us in a position then to adequately help other churches experience health, life, and vitality in their settings. We want to make sure that the mask is set for us so that we can make sure it's set for others. 
And so that's the two-fold understanding of what God is up to among us. And so last week, Pastor Wayne talked about the first side uh, of that coin. He talked about how God has uh, had us thrive over 180 plus years of ministry here in this community. And as we discerned, okay, what's the next step for First Christian Church to thrive? We discerned we've got to make sure we've got our masks securely on to be ready for all that God has for us by first and foremost, eliminating the current debt that we have uh, as a church related to our ministries and uh, facilities around here. And right now, that debt is right under $1.9 million. And so that is the goal of the campaign, to eliminate that debt, to open up the doors for the next things that God has for us. And the, the million dollar question, or really the $1.9 million question, is, you know, okay then, pastor, what's next? Like if we eliminate that debt, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna build this building? Are we gonna start this ministry? Are we gonna do this thing? Well. Let me respond to that question this way. Over the 14 years that I've been here, I have had the privilege of being part of a leadership team that has never, I'll say it this way, they have never given into the temptation to get ahead of God for the sake of coming up with something for some type of campaign. Just being very candid. That, that the, the campaign experts are saying, you have to know exactly what you're gonna build or what you're gonna start or what you're gonna do to get people inspired. And we have discerned that there are a lot of different possibilities for what God has for us, and we are not crystal clear on what that next thing is. However, we do know that the next biblical, wise, um, best step for us to take at this point is to eliminate that current debt before we get ourselves ahead of ourselves or ahead of God and for what he has next. And so we do know that, that that is our first biblical next step, that we want to eliminate that debt. Again, to as we know how debt works, it opens up the avenues for the new things that God wants to do in the future. Okay, so that's the first side of the coin, and we looked at that last week. But the other side of that coin, the other side of this vision is the one thing that we do know God is calling us to as a church, ironically, has nothing to do with this location, but has everything to do with the other 71 locations uh, around the planet, these other churches from coast to coast that God has put us in a position uh, to lead and to help thrive in their settings, as you saw in the, the video that they see when we come alongside working with them. And so uh, a, little, a little bit about how we are doing that. Um, huge responsibility. In fact, just to kind of maybe share a little bit behind, kind of pull back the curtain as to how we got to this. Like how did this church end up being responsible to help lead 71 other churches? Well, when discerning whether or not to take on this ministry uh, of helping these other churches, there was a lot of prayer, a lot of discussion, some heated discussion as a church staff to say, what, like, this is crazy, like what are we thinking? Like, do we, how do we even have the margin, given all that we have going on here, to take that kind of responsibility on? Um, we already feel like we're beyond max in some ways. You know, it's kind of the um, metaphor, you know, like when they spin plates, have you ever heard that? You know, we have a, a ton of plates that we have to keep spinning and honestly there's a few plates behind the scenes that we feel like they're a little wobbly that we need to work on. And so it, you could say it makes sense that we would invest all of our energy into, hey, we gotta make sure we got our act all together before we would even think about doing that. But as we discern this, there, there was this, I guess you could call it a Holy Spirit aha moment. You ever have one of those where it's just like, I know this makes the most sense, but then God said, nope, this is the way it's gonna be. And I would describe this Holy Spirit aha moment as uh, something we discovered, we'd say, is the transferable principle of the tithe. 
I'd call it the transferable stewardship principle of the tithe. And so here's how the tithe works kind of in its normal sense is that we understand that God has given us 100% of everything we have. And so out of obedience, he has started this, this, you could say this baseline point of generosity and stewardship that we give back 10% of the 100% that we believe that he has given us. And, um, you know, honestly, the way this works is, you know, just I'll be honest, for me, sometimes I get to the point where the check shows up in the little bank account and the little reminder pops up and I'm like, man, it doesn't matter what you make. 10% of the 100% you make is a significant amount. And I'm looking at, you know, man, I could really use that for X, Y, or Z. You know, I've got this debt to pay off or I've got this to save up for. And it's like, nope, okay, God. But nevertheless, I'm in God's economy. I trust God. And so every time I give, it's with a prayer of, first of all, God, thank you for providing uh, for me in the way that you have. And may this gift be used uh, for the furthering of your kingdom, for your will and ways here on the planet. Okay, so that's how tithing works. Now, the way that principle played out for us as we were discerning what to do about taking on this Disciple Heritage Fellowship ministry or not was, again, we looked mathematically at what was taking place. You know, we've got all these plates spinning. We've got some that are looking a little wobbly. And so mathematically, it made sense. Hey, we should invest all the more energy, all our resources, all our time, talent, and treasure in making sure that we got all our stuff, you know, firing on all cylinders. Well, as we discern that, God said, nope. The tithe principle, that what we discovered that God was leading us is that based on this principle, that even though it makes mathematical sense to say, okay, I'm gonna invest in ourselves to make ourselves set or whatever that means, that he is calling us to give away, ironically, that time, talent, and treasure to help other churches thrive based on that same principle, that it's God that provides everything for us and leads us in the first place. In fact, we were so clear on this leading from the Holy Spirit that we discerned that to not take on Disciple Heritage Fellowship would have been to be in direct disobedience to what God was leading the leadership team to. And so it was an obvious yes uh, at the fear of saying no and trusting that just in the same principle of the tithe, God's gonna provide. In fact, we discerned that it would mean that to not take this on would, would prevent our health and our growth and our opportunities here. And so we believe that in giving away time, talent, and treasure First Christian Church, that God is gonna in turn bless this location uh, in ways that we couldn't have imagined because of it. And so that's kind of the story that got us here. Um, but let me just tell you, we are, um, I'm trying not to go 12 minutes over again. I talk fast, so I'm gonna keep talking fast. Um, that uh, we were four months, I guess May, fifth month into taking on this ministry since January 1, and we have already seen uh, fruit and continued opportunities for more fruit, uh, even in the short time that we've taken on these churches. Uh, let me give you um, just the little spiel on the proposal as to what it is we were, like, what are we doing? Like, what are we even trying to do with these other churches? And this was the proposal that was written up, kind of the, the header, was that we want to help other churches, these other churches, these 71 churches, not die, get past, survive, and move to thrive. And thrive, that's where the campaign name comes in. Uh, we want to help churches not die, get past, survive, and move to thrive. You might say, whoa, like, you're, you're taking this from your, you're going to make sure churches don't die or churches dying? Well, let me tell you, if you've been around, you've heard us talk about Disciple Heritage Fellowship over the last five months. And as we got into it, we said, hey, we're going to be responsible for 80 churches. Well, you've heard me say today, that number is 71. So what we discovered as we took these churches on is that nine churches had already shut the doors, closed the doors, shut down, don't exist. 
And so there is an urgency to help churches not die, get past just surviving and actually thrive in their context, as our little statement goes on, that we wanna help them be relevant and vital in their context. Really to be stewards of the time, talent, treasure, whatever amount they've been given uh, for the sake of God's kingdom. That's what the church is called to do. And so some of the ways we've been able to do that already this past month, we hosted, the, uh, we hosted our first national conference for DHF where we had 83 people participate, which honestly, that's about double what we thought uh, would turn out. Uh, we had one guy, he drove all the way from Washington State to be with us. Like, dude, you must be burned out on that safety speech because that is a long way to drive to avoid a flight. Um, some of the comments that we received, just as feedback from the, uh, from the time, you know, they, they give the little feedback forms. Uh, one said, this is my first time ever at a physical conference. I'm so excited for the local church when the focus is on Jesus Christ. I have made contacts at this conference that I get to follow up later on. Another said, just thank you for the love, the support, and the fellowship. Another was just good practical teaching. Uh, FCC did a wonderful job hosting, great servants. One person said that they just loved witnessing true passion and love for Jesus in, in that setting that we were in. Uh, one person said, the best part was the refreshing worship. Another one said, the worship music was painfully loud. <laughs> Can't win them all. Can't win them all, okay. And so, over these last four and a half months, five months, we have already have been consulting through visits and phone conversations. Pastor Wayne right now is at a church in Indiana, DHF Church, working with them uh, this day. Uh, we've met with them regarding leadership structures, worship, technical arts, global missions. We've talked to churches about community missions, how to be relevant in their context. Like God's called us around here in some of the things we're doing, uh, helping with preaching, administration, and family ministry as well. Leading into this transition over the past year, we helped place one pastor in a church in North Carolina that was a church of 40 that now in less than a year has already doubled to 80, uh, which, is, which is pretty exciting stuff. Um, we had uh, one church, after several conversations, um, we're, this is kind of live right now, we've, we've had three conversations, uh, Pastor Wayne and I, with, this, with the leadership team of this church that um, has recognized they are dying. They have grown the church from 160 to 12. It's, a, it's in a tough situation. And they recognize that they will either close the doors intentionally or unintentionally. It just, they'll just keep going on this trajectory. Or, as we've sat down, we said, you know, you might feel like you have one talent that is just time to bury it in the sand. But how could God use your location, your space, your opportunity to thrive, to invest that, to see what God wants to do with the time, talent, and treasure, as limited as it might feel right now with a dozen people on a Sunday, to further his kingdom. And I'll tell you, some of the conversations are leading to some pretty interesting possibilities. Now, something Pastor Wayne likes to do when there's a possibility, he wants to remind us of that word possibility, so he'll do this. He'll be like, all right, you all heard me say possibility, right? Everyone say it with me, possibility possibility. All right, so this is just a possibility, but because it's literally this past week is where some of these conversations are most up to date. And so there's a possibility that they are looking to, rather than closing the doors or just, you know, floating away or whatever you want to call it, that they, they are looking to have First Christian Church actually, I don't know if it's the word merge or take over or to be, you know, shared leadership or exactly what it's going to look like into some sort of completely restructured leadership 
approach and, and staffing approach and, um, and, and even using our, our sermons on a, on, a, on a streaming basis, just like we have right now, the West Auditorium and the East Auditorium, there's a possibility in the very near future. We might have several miles away, but uh, a South location. And so I don't know where all this is going. We don't fully know, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see that all that God has already begun to do through us and will continue, I believe, to do through us as he's called us to this. And so when it comes to the specifics of how it is that we are going to uh, continue to move forward and what God's called us to do with time, talent, and treasure to steward well what he has, here's the specifics of this particular campaign, this vision of Thrive for us. Uh, That when it comes to what we're gonna do with the financial resources, um, that we are gonna follow that same tithe principle in in, in whatever comes in and that we are gonna give away the first 10% of whatever comes in, not to this location, but to helping these other churches thrive and these opportunities that are coming through DHF. And then 90% will go towards eliminating that debt, knowing that's our next best step. And so here are the exact numbers on all of that. If we give away the first 10% to resource other churches, uh, we will give $209,699.35 to help other churches thrive in other locations all across the country. Uh, To pay off the debt in 18 months with principal and interest and all that stuff, the exact number to date is $1,887,294.16. So a total thrive need, a vision for Two million dollars, ninety-six. Excuse me, two million ninety-six thousand nine hundred ninety-three dollars and fifty-one cents. That is the goal. That is the goal to the penny. And so, who knows? Maybe someone uh, here today has the treasure to be able to write that check to the penny. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. And so, God has called us to steward well that which He has given us here in this location these other locations around the, around the country. And so what does that come back to when it comes to you and me? What has he called us to steward when it comes to this vision of Thrive? Again, because we're not talking about the church somewhere out there. It's you and me, and it's figuring it out together. And so number one, what he has called us to steward is our time in prayer. That is number one. If you've been around this church for even two seconds, you know that we are a pray first church. Uh, And I can give you hundreds of examples of how that is. And this uh, Thrive Vision campaign is no different, that we start with prayer. So if you're with us last week, we started by praying and circle around this church just like they did 20 years ago before they built this building. Um, If you got your literature in the mail about the Thrive campaign, you saw that there was this little like sticky window decal thing that you can put like on the bathroom mirror, maybe on the window above the sink that just whenever you see it, just offer up a breath prayer. Just say, hey, I trust you, God. Uh, and I pray for the, the church, Disciple Heritage Fellowship churches, as well as for our, our own selves, our family, to thrive in reaching and developing devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to make, take that mission um, all over the country. So God is calling us to that. So if you didn't get one of these in the mail, uh, there's some of these at the Welcome Center, both in the East and West Auditorium Welcome Centers. You can grab one of those. Um, before you go, and um, we're gonna pray yet today before it's all said and done. And then with that, so prayer, that's the first and foremost, we're gonna take our time to pray, and then the second side of that stewardship equation for us is our, our treasure. How is God calling us to be generous to help make this possible? Um, and just kind of like a little, again, a little insider understanding of how 
campaigns can tend to work in nonprofits and church settings. We've, we've learned a lot about them over the years. Um, and as we discerned, okay, what is God calling us specifically? Not just what to do, but how to do it. We have been saying kind of internal language that we want this to be the non-campaign campaign. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of things that you can you could pay a premium for the experts to come in and lead you through all these various meetings and they, you know, lots of volunteers come together and do help with all the communication because the understanding is, and you all get this, like the more involved you are in the process, well, then the more likely you are to give and all that. And I get all that. Um, but here's another thing we get. We get that, as we just shared a little bit ago, that we have over 700 I mean, over 700 of you volunteering your time and your talent already uh, in the life of this church and community and in missions around the world. We have over 500 family units, giving units, who already give of treasure faithfully uh, to the ministries and that which God's called us to. And we discerned, you know what? We are so thankful to be part of a church that is giving time, talent, and treasure, that it would be poor stewardship on leadership's part to say, hey, let me add to what you're already doing with some extra meetings. We're going to jump into your small groups and then show you little videos and you can come and you get your, your Thrive Can koozie. We can spend some money on those. And he said, you know what? We're not doing any of that this time. And we said, this is the vision. And frankly, this is the meeting. This is the meeting. This is the church. This is who we are. And so we are trusting God like we claim to do and say, okay, God, if you put this vision before us, just like you have for 180 years, you are not going to call us to something that you are then in turn not going to resource us for. If God's going to call it to us, he's going to help take care of the path to get us there. And so we're trusting God. Imagine that with all that we need for what all he's calling us to. And so this is the meeting, if you will. And so for the specific information, uh, you'll see in your program, you've got this little commitment card. Um, and you got hopefully, here we go, going out of control here. You got this uh, kind of informational sheet in the mail with your prayer sticker. And again, if you didn't get that, that's also at the Welcome Center, just so you can get up to speed beyond what I've already speedily raced through on what we're doing. Uh, but on this commitment card, here's, here's what we're asking you to do to um, discern what God is leading you to do to give in a one-time gift this next weekend to uh, May 19th and 20th, as well as a commitment over the next 18 months on a monthly basis uh, to what God is calling you to give. And as you think about this, again, this is the non-campaign campaign, which means there's no guilt, there's no pressure, there's only following the Lord, the Holy Spirit, for what he's calling you to give. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Sermons aren't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And so, we have a model for this in scripture from the Apostle Paul. It's actually on your little sheet that you, again, got in the mail or you can get at the Welcome Center. Uh, I'm just gonna read it to you because I think it sums it up better than I could say off the cuff here. The Apostle Paul, he gives us direction on the opportunity to practice generosity. In 2 Corinthians, Paul has requested a gift beyond the people's regular tithes and offerings for the mission of reaching more people for Christ, both in Corinth and throughout the known world. And so Paul states it this way, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Catch this, not reluctantly or under compulsion. There's no guilt. For God loves a cheerful giver. This is supposed to be a win for us all. That's the way God designed it. The gift of giving, the gift of blessing, all of that. Because, as it goes on, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so here's the ask. 
Make, this is simply it. Make 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8 your prayer. Make this your prayer. Simply ask God to lead you in what you should give. From there, trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you and then do that. Give cheerfully the amount uh, without reluctance or under compulsion uh, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so that's it. And so we invite you to pray this week, discern what God's uh, calling you to give, bring a gift next week as well as whatever he's called you to over the next 18 months uh, on this little card. And you can bring it back to worship or if you can't be with us, uh, there's an envelope that you can send it in the mail or drop it by the office or, or whatever works for you. And we'll get excited to see about what God's gonna do in us and through us to thrive both here and around the country. Let's do this. As we wrap up our time together, uh, in order to be the best steward of the time that we have shared as a congregation, um, again, that number one thing, pray. We're gonna start with prayer. And so last week we prayed specifically for our church. This week we're gonna pray specifically for these 71 churches. And so to do that, to help make that literally possible, uh, you'll see in the pew rack in front of you uh, or in the East Auditorium on the seats when you came in, there is this Thrive sheet here. Uh, it's got a little, you can see the little map of all of the churches that, that we work with. And as we have been talking with these churches, so yeah, go ahead and grab that um, in both locations. As we talked with these churches and got feedback about, you know, what are their biggest needs? What are their biggest prayer requests? We boil it down to these top four. And so these are the things that these churches by and large are asking us to, to help with. Number one, vision and leadership for the future. Okay, to help them be the best stewards of their time, talent, and treasure for his kingdom. Uh, as they effectively share the gospel in their context, uh, church staffing, that's a huge thing. Uh, the pool of pastors and staffing is, is, is not as big as we wish it was. Uh, and then fourth, this one was kind of a heart thing. It's just, just recognizing their youth, their kids, that they're, that they're drifting from the church um, in a lot of these settings. And so these are the specific things that we can best be praying for them for. And to ensure that we're covering every church specifically, uh, you'll see uh, the alphabet there on the front and back page. Uh, and the, the goal there is to identify the letter which starts your last name. We can all handle that. Uh, so for me, T for Talty, I would go to the letter T and I've got four churches there. And so find uh, the letter that corresponds with your last name and spray, pray about those matters in those three or four churches that are listed under your name. And uh, again, we know that we wanna get to work, but prayer is more important because when we, sure, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God's at work. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for these churches. So I'll start us and I'll give us uh, a good couple minutes to go ahead and have uh, some time praying for these churches, lifting them up before the Lord. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, you've given us much. And God, in the area of time, we devote uh, a couple of minutes here, God, uh, multiplied over you know, thousand plus people, which is pretty cool, uh, to show our trust, express our trust uh, in you through prayer, knowing that you are on the move. And so God, we are thankful for the fruit already of uh, this ministry that you've called us to. And God, we pray for more of it. And so right now, God, as we pray, uh, kind of organized by our last names for these specific churches and these specific requests, we thank you that you not only hear our prayer, but that you respond and that you're on the move because of your people's prayers. And so Lord, hear our prayer.